Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. In our years, Aaron, we've inherited, I guess, what you could call a legacy code base. That's a nice word for it, legacy. Yeah. <laughs> and that means a lot of different things. I think one common trait I've seen in a lot of legacy code bases is there are little to no tests as part of the code. Mm -hmm. All right. So you're not only coming into something that's undocumented, old, but if you make changes to it, you're always afraid you broke it. So I know we've in the past sort of started when, when you're modernizing a legacy code base, one of the things we start with is by getting some semblance of test coverage. Mm -hmm. And uh, just want to throw that out to you. Like, what what's a good strategy you find for diving into a code base like that and, and getting those first few tests written? Sure. So I think one thing to keep in mind is what's important about this code base is this code base probably supports uh, a business. And so therefore, it supports business processes. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that we want to make sure that do not break if we're going to make some sort of change. Um, our job is to come in and make the code better, but really the business cares about, is their business still working the same way or is it faster? You know, that kind of stuff, but, but it can't not work. You can't, you can't just say, well, I was upgrading, you know, PHP and now you can't sell your product, but it's fine. You can't like, check so, out, but so, it looks better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got the newest uh, tailwind. So it's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think that the first important thing is to make sure that you're considering adding tests that test business processes. Okay. And so that usually means some sort of like end-to-end -end or feature test or something like that. You can accomplish that in a number of different ways. Uh, you can use a tool like um, Selenium or Cypress mm -hmm. and kind of approach it directly through the browser. Um, you know, a Selenium, you could do some sort of programming and, you know, even PHP unit and run those tests, or you can use their plugin to record them. Uh, Cypress, you can, you know, maybe hand it off to another team member too, who knows JavaScript. If you don't know it that well, you can write those JavaScript based tests with Cypress and see it happen in multiple different browsers. Yep. Um, you can even use, you know, Laravel Dusk or something like that, again, to kind of put it on alongside the product the mm -hmm. project and um, uh, see um, how that would test the end-to-end -end processes. I think that would probably be a little bit later on down the line once you actually have maybe some Laravel sort of framework and in, in scaffolding, right. yeah. but it's still possible to use it on, uh, alongside of your project and, and test sure. it that way. Yeah. And the, um, <laughs> th that's very practical. I agree with you as like, you know, that's a good way to do it. The other thing I've found in a lot of these legacy projects is, the methods you're trying to test are pretty interconnected and big. So like even like the idea of starting with unit tests is just sort of hard to, to contemplate because like, well, where do I even start with this? And, and it just becomes this whole exercise and roadblock. So the, the sort of the outside in or the integration testing where you're driving a browser, just like a user would, there's a, there's a lot of return there on that. I think I think you it's it's hard to even determine the first time through a code base what a unit of work would even be. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when you click through the the interface and it did a thing, you know, you did a checkout, for example, you can be reasonably certain and that did enough of the thing to be successful. And mm -hmm. that's what you can write a test around because also when we're making our changes, 
I think we've all done it too, where you, you make a bunch of changes, you test it by hand, um, and you make that one last quick change, <laughs> but you're like, I, I obviously didn't affect anything. So I'll just commit this and it's good to go. And, and lo and behold, it broke everything. And so even having these little tests um, that you can run, you know, in an automated fashion over this legacy code base is good. Now, there are some uh, things I think that we have to worry about. And I'll pose some of these questions to you, Joel, because I know you're okay. very familiar with this, is how would I go about making sure that I'm not executing this code in such a way that it's hitting other production APIs and and, and <laughs> You know, because when I download it locally, how do I know it can run locally? Yeah, that's that's certainly a place to start is you have to be able to run the code locally. But to your point, maybe this legacy code has things like sending an email or pinging some order update service or whatever. And those processes are hard coded. <laughs> it's not like there's no built in mechanism to say, oh, this is a, we're, we're in a test environment now. So we'll send this to MailTrap versus like the live mail server. So yeah, that's that's really important to figure out. I don't know that I have a um, perfect formula for doing that, but a, a lot of times, in fact, I was just looking at a code base with this, like a checkout type process that did some of these external third-party interactions. And I just looked at the code. Like when I click this button, what is it going to do? And I kind of drilled into it. It's like, oh, that's going to send an email to the user. It's going to send an email to customer service. It's going to queue up a notification in Amazon, and that's going to do a bunch of things. And so I was able to figure out a bunch of places to kind of wrap those things, extract it into environment variables. And then I could more safely test and know that I'm not messing with production data. But yeah, you you have to be, especially when you're first stepping into the code base, you have to be kind of meticulous to make sure that isn't mm -hmm. happening. That's that's not a surprise you want. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, there's been a couple of examples of really difficult pieces of code that I haven't necessarily been able to follow through everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and in cases like those, if you can get them running in something like a like a vagrant um, based a virtual machine or or Docker, there are ways to turn off network connections and stuff like that oh. too. Okay, uh, turn off outgoing connections. It's obviously harder to explain on yeah. this this quick podcast but um you could you could you could google like how to disable outgoing network connections and set up like a firewall that stops all outgoing connections yeah. and therefore when you're doing your work then you'll know that it was never actually hitting anything i mean it's not great especially if we have like mail tramp tra trap we want to go and connect to them it'll stop that too right. but at least you know it won't you know ping the production stripe account with you know some, right. some big charge yeah. or something <laughs> yeah well especially if it's depending on how thorny the code base is that might be a good way of just kind of do a first pass to be like oh what are all the things i'm going to bump into extract those into variables that are environment specific and then do one after you think you have it all do it one more time with that and make sure it didn't hit uh, anything you weren't expecting I, I like that approach i expect a full report on my desk on how to set that up <laughs> later today <laughs> in the past i've seen uh someone show me maybe code when i first joined the team mm -hmm. um and they went through a whole process and and maybe i didn't have a chance to record it and follow it through but i wrote down wrote down some notes one of the things i like to do is take that time then invest in writing one of those those and and tests then and duplicate what they just did trying to set all that stuff up and I, I gained two things from that. One, I've now written a test that's good. And two, I understand what they did. And now I, you know, it's fresh in my mind. I can ask some questions uh, when I'm setting up my scenario. Like, oh, I tried to do this. Maybe I missed something or whatever. Yeah. Versus just trying to hope I just caught that when they showed me real quick. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that idea of um, kind of reinvesting the time that you spend to learn something into something that's automated. I've even done it, if, if I'm not quite as diligent as, as you in that scenario, at least to add it to the readme or like to build a test plan mm-hmm. document where it's like, okay, yeah. I'm going to come back and write more tests for this. But for right now, like here's the the smoke testing happy path just to make sure it works and know how to how to capture that. So the next person or me next week knows how to write those automated tests. Right. Definitely, definitely me next week after a long weekend, you're like, wait, what did I know about this project? <laughs> uh-huh. I've been there. So we've, we've shared some good advice. I appreciate that. What though, if we had to get more specific, so we talked in general, like the style of tests we do, but like literally what, mm-hmm. what might be the first test you write or the first thing you do when introducing testing to a, a legacy code base? That's a really good question. What I think I do is I start with the very simplest thing to make sure I can just do that. And the very simplest thing is I load up the homepage and then I click the about or contact page and I validate that that worked. And maybe mm-hmm. if it's a contact page, I submit the contact form. Now, maybe this is a whole site for checking out, doing e-commerce or whatever, and the contact form is one small little part. But now I've developed one test that's reasonably simple. And now I can basically put that in. I can start to build off that. The second area I'll focus on is either creating an account or logging in. Okay. Either one of those is usually, you know, if, if you support that, that whole authentication piece as well is, is pretty important. Uh, people will be, I would say end users aren't happy with bugs, but they're really unhappy if they can't log in or they can't create an account. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so those are the two, you know, it's like just very, fir- very easy top level navigation and then maybe log in and stuff like that. And then after that, once you got all that going, it's really, that's when you have to engage with the business stakeholders again and say, what, what is the most important thing that happens on this website? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, like it's, it. it's buying this. So you know, go check that out. Yeah. So you're kind of building momentum. Like you're starting with a relatively easy test, which you're going to have some hurdles just to get it running in a test environment, mm-hmm. but you're not like t- biting off the largest piece of the app, maybe the most important piece of the app to start, but starting simple right. and kind of letting that momentum build and add more tests over time. Nice. I've been spending a little more time than previous years doing schoolwork with my kids one of whom is in first grade. And one of the things that's really hard to explain to a first grader is why words have letters in them that you don't say. All right. So like (laughs) recently the word was should. Do you hear an L in the word should? I don't hear an L in the word should. 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 Nope. Should. Yeah. No, so so <laughs> you see the dilemma, but then it gets even weirder because um, that same day we were doing something related to the human body and it pointed out shoulder. So if you have the word should, which is spelled the same way as like the first part of shoulder, now try explaining that to a kid, why that one has an L in it, <laughs> why they both have L's in it, but you <laughs> pronounce it. So... <clears throat> I guess the question for you, I've been thinking a lot about this, probably more than is healthy, but mm-hmm. um, 
I only know English. I don't know if other languages are as uh, messed up as English, but <laughs> if you uh, bounce into any weird English related things that have really either annoyed or confused you. Well, I, I think I can say that I don't understand how to say and spell soldier. There sounds like soldier. there's some J's and stuff in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or um, judgment. Like it, it sounds okay, but why is there an E in there? And certain like certain words we have E's, and you know, like I, I, I but, but I guess the the one that has always been on my mind because so many people use it incorrectly and it just drives me absolutely insane is two, two and two. You know, like, is that like the uh, the nineties R and B band, Tony, Tony, Tony? Who are you? <laughs> No, T O T O O and T W O. Yeah, we couldn't think of different words. Yeah, the um, the the thing with silent letters, I, I was puzzling on it, and I actually got in this rabbit hole on uh, Wikipedia of all places, and I learned an interesting fact: in English, the only letter that is never silent is, drumroll, the letter V. Every other letter, they had examples where it was silent. So huh. don't try to think of one because I did and I never. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really want to think of one. No, I, I got to say that um, that does sound like a challenge explaining it to a first grader mm-hmm. or many of the adults that listen to our podcast as well, especially if English isn't your first language. Yeah. Feel yeah. bad there too. I guess I don't really like um, silent letters. And that's why you'll find me ending most of my conversations like this. Bye. I know sometimes you wish that you could hear from us weekly. And if that's the case, I got something for you. Head over to our website at nocompromises.io slash tips to sign up for a free weekly newsletter. 